I'm back. All right. Yeah, as you can see, Matt Smith has joined us again. Hey, guys, it's me, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's me, John. <laughs> Y'all, oh, wait, no, that's me. That's me. Uh-huh. Okay. I don't know how Matt would say. Now, I'm Matt, and I'm happy to be here, and I'm actually a really good guy. Aww, That's my good. impersonation. Oh. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> Here's some whiskey, everybody. <laughs> well, he is Irish. So. No, but he always brings us the whiskey, too. That, that's why right. it's always Irish whiskey, because he's Irish. So. <laughs> <laughs> it took us 10 seconds to get into race in tonight's right. episode. Ginger <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, that's what the podcast is now going to be about. Is Ginger <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. Okay, so welcome to Legend Lore, brought to you by SNWProductions.com. And as you already heard, to my right, we do have back with us. DM Rockfist, I'm back. Don't be fooled by that previous podcast. There was an imposter, <laughs> and uh, he sounded nothing like me. Yeah, I was just some guy who came uh, off the street. I, I don't know. I, I, think his, I think his performance check was pretty good. He did pretty good on his performance check. I'll give him that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, that was um, Jason Karch from Texarkana. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. From <laughs> Arkansas. Hey, I didn't think we were saying our last names on this podcast. Actually, no, we would. My last your name, name is, is. Yeah, and he always goes his last name. So I am DM Osborne. First name Keenan. Middle name Osborne. Redacted. What's your, what's your social security <laughs> number? Uh, this is Cody. Jess Cody. No DM honorific on there. By choice. This is DM Popatine or Matt. <laughs> It's got to be serious tonight, guys. That was Jeez. so serious. <laughs> Holy cow. That was like forceful. I was actually a little bit like, oh, that was it's, great. That it's was funny because it's like you put more evil emphasis on the name Matt than you did Popatine. Well, you know. <laughs> this is DM Popatine. Hi, guys. I'm a DM Popatine, or you might also call me Matt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are we talking about today, today you, boys? Uh, oh, uh, oh, I have a funny story, though, before we get okay, going. Okay, yeah, well, hold on. Funny story first before, so before we I, actually start business. You know... <laughs> DM Rockfist is my moniker, and I use it on um, you know the YouTube stuff I post up, and I uh, use it when I log into Zoom because you know I'm I'm doing D and D stuff on Zoom, and so it has DM Rockfist with my Minotaur holding his axe, and right. uh, that's my image on Zoom if I'm not doing my camera right. Well, uh, that's on my iPad. Well, <laughs> my company has a brand new CCO, which is one step down from the CEO. She's this awesome lady, and uh, I traveled with her this last week. She lives in my area, so uh, we had to get on a conference call for the whole company and without thinking i said well you can just use my ipad <laughs> so uh she gets in on the zoom call with like almost 200 uh, employees uh and it's her talking on the camera but it says dm rockfist right underneath it <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> That's awesome. so yeah i'm looking for a job uh no, I'm kidding. <laughs> dude dude way to get us some free publicity, I know, publicity right? too right yeah, yeah. People are going to be asking, John, what was that DM Rockfist thing about? Let me tell you. Let me tell you all about Hashtag it. Hashtag SNWP. Uh, so, so, yeah, so so she lives in your area. Uh, what's, your, what's your address again? Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> and then I give Keenan's address. <laughs> oh, yeah, you asked for my social and his address. That's right. So That's right. I'm getting, I'm getting it slowly at a time. Okay, so uh, today we are going to be talking about homebrew and uh, covering a few different subjects on that, talking a little bit about homebrew rules, uh, yeah. some pros and cons of homebrew, and about homebrewing existing campaign settings that are official D&D products and also about your own homebrew. Uh, so I would like to kind of kick this off with just uh, uh, one really quick thing. In 1974, Dungeons and Dragons was released 
And when I saw that, I did, it sometimes it just boggles my mind, right? Because I didn't get it, introduced it to the mid 80s, right? So I was 1974. I don't know, so I was like eighty three, eighty four that I that I that I that I came across it. So I was literally four years old when this game came out. You're old, <laughs> and I've already crossed over into my fifties, and I'm still playing this game. So I think it's kind of cool. Uh, but one of the things that are is right in the introductions to the very first basic set is this, and I'm going to quote this, and I might paraphrase a bit. These rules are as complete as possible within the limitations imposed by the space. That is, they cover the major aspects of a fantasy campaign, but still remain flexible. They provide framework around, framework around which you will build a game of simpli- simplicity or tremendous complexity. Your time and, and imaginations are the only limiting factors. And that's right off the bat. And then 1978 Advanced Dungeons & Dragons came out, and it basically says, even the most important material herein can be altered and bent to suit the needs of the individual campaigns. The game is unlike chess in that the rules are not cut and dried. In many places, they are guidelines and suggested methods only. And this goes on through all the editions, second edition and so on. So immediately, they're telling you right in these rules that they're guidelines. You do what you want with them, which means you homebrew them the way you want to which to me is a very exciting thing because really I think I've talked about this in the past that D&D to me is the ultimate homebrew anyways because the way it was born from tabletop wargaming and the way they adapted it into role-playing and the way they adapted all these different systems and they made their own thing and it continued to grow until they finally published it and then writing their own rules, they addressed the fact that, yeah, we, we, we made a lot of this stuff up and we homebrewed a lot of stuff and we stole a lot of stuff too. Uh, something I think is kind of cool about this subject, and I think it, it, it's sort of related, there's a comic book that I really enjoyed reading about Gary Gygax and uh, how him and the other guy whose name I forget. And Dave Arneson. Thank you. Uh, how they created D&D. And it goes all the way back to when they were playing their uh, war, uh, like the Civil War and the World War II games, and how they had the idea from the chainmail game to make D&D. And there, somewhere in the comic book, it mentions how he would get phone calls at like two in the morning from random people because for some weird reason he just had his house phone uh, easily accessible for these people (laughs) and people would come at two in the morning asking for rules clarifications and he would go okay yeah I see where you're going there with that Uh, so what did you do and then they would tell him what to do he's like yeah that sounds great yeah Yeah, go ahead and do do that that. and so I think it's kind of cool like just right from the get go the original creator of the game or one of the creators is just saying yeah have at it you what the way that you did it sounds great Right. That's your rule for your game. I'm so surprised to hear that from Cody, the rules heavy guy. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, the rules are flexible. And then you're like, in game, you're like, no, that's not what the textbook says. No, no, it actually, <laughs> the spell says this. Well, like, okay, no, okay. it's like, it's like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a rules lawyer, but as long as there's like fairness or balance with it, it's all about the balance. Well, you know, I think it's a little more than that too, because when I first found second edition D&D in high school, one of the things I really liked about it was going okay, there's these monsters, they have these stat blocks, there's these mechanical rules to the combat, and and the spells all have their different rules. And I approached it when I first found it as, like, sacred text. I was like, when we would be playing, as a DM, I took a lot of pride in that moment where I could be like, no, actually, the spell's worded like this. And then the player would be like, no, it's not. And then they would look at it and they go, oh, shit, you're right. And I like that. I like that there was some degree of structure to what we were doing and it wasn't just willy-nilly um but as we were 
thinking about tonight's episode and, and what is a homebrew and, and you find different definitions, right? But like one of the, the more common definitions is just anything that's not in the rule book. So it could be a setting, it could be a monster, it could be a spell, it could be a twist on the mechanics, like, you know, any anything that's outside the rule book could be a homebrew. But I think that every DM and every player falls somewhere on the spectrum of like wanting to go deep into homebrew material versus stay close to home in official publication type mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. I just remembered why I'm such a rules heavy guy. I did play a one D&D game uh, where the guy had a staff of haste and he asked the DM, is it an action or a bonus action to activate the haste on the staff? He goes, oh, we'll just make it a bonus action. So he bonus actions haste. And then he does his regular action to cast like a super high level spell. And then he uses his haste action to cast another super high mega level spell. He ended up killing the monster that we were all trying to fight. And he's like, I just one shot of this monster all by myself. Like, that was like, like, I mean, it's pretty badass (laughs) in the moment, but it's not something you can run a campaign on. I was disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. But what if it was you? I would have never, never done that. Well, I think, you know, kind of going back to what you were just saying, John, is I think that's kind of, that's kind of interesting take on things because you've definitely, you were, you, you may have kind of started out that way, but you're way more of a flexible DM now as far as making up rules on the spot, doing things on the spot. Uh, I've always kind of been that way. I mean, that, I don't know. I just am, you know, I probably cause I started homebrew my own role playing games early on when I was a little, when I was a young kid. And I think there is definitely, you have to have that rule structure. But I do think just always having that in mind, as long as you guys can agree at the table about the homebrew, like, yeah, this is okay. This works for us. Like, you should mm-hmm. never ram. And I try never to ram things down your guys' throats you don't like. Yeah, you usually have, like, a PDF or, like, a, a yeah. slide on the TV for us to read. Yeah, yeah. And and, and we'll or we'll talk about it before we even play. Or even in-game, we, we can take that moment to talk about, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm, well, let's do it this way. And sometimes we, we'll, we'll, sometimes we'll bend rules on the fly just for expediency of combat, too. Mm-hmm. I think that's something I've seen us all do quite a mm-hmm. bit, uh, except for Matt. He's he's a hard ass, and he uh, he wants to kill us all. <laughs> I think you're confusing me with Keenan. Oh yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but I give you guys the most ridiculous gear and abilities so that I can. And you're probably the loosest with with letting us do different things that are outside yeah. the norm for yeah. sure. I like it to be more cinematic. It's more about the narrative than the mechanics. Yeah. I find that to be more enjoyable. Right. And it lets you do more than your standard. Like last week when we played doing Cody. Um, you're I love that. that like flesh golem basically. And yeah, mm-hmm. you, you couldn't, I can't remember exactly what it is, but you couldn't, you wanted to creatively attack it and, uh, yeah, take over. I, if you I, I wasn't really doing super great damage to it. So I, but it's a flesh golem, but it's covered in armor. So I've figured it's like cybernetic armor. So I figured I could just like rip off all that armor thinking that it's not super well attached to the creature. Cause I don't know. I, I just can't imagine how, that kind of thing would like be really stuck onto the creature. Yeah, gorilla so glue. I was trying to like, yeah, gorilla yeah, staples. Science. So I was just trying to like rip off some armor. It had like a helmet kind of thing. So I was trying to rip off its helmet, maybe expose its brain. I could punch its brain, which I ended up doing. And it was, it was I loved how you did it too, because instead of just giving me an inspiration point for, you know, doing combat outside the box or anything like that, you were lowering its uh, modifier to hit us. And it had a crazy high modifier. Well, not crazy high, but it had a high modifier, uh, plus 12. So every time I was able to succeed on taking off its armor, you were lowering its ability to do damage to us. Yep. And I thought that was a really good creative way to uh, change up how combat was being done. Thanks. And I wanted to make it 
um, compounding. So it was rewarding you to continue it. If it was just an ex, uh, inspiration point, it would be easy to be like, oh, I did a one-off thing in combat. But the fact it was a modifier reduction or mm-hmm. you know, like it could have been an AC reduction too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that I think, feel like would nurture you into doing stuff like that because mm-hmm. you're like oh it actually is compounding if i keep doing it i'm going to gain more benefit i think that's right. really unique because there isn't as rules written a way to really compound attacks or stuff like that so yeah thank it, you for thank you for appreciating it it made the combat dynamic it yeah. made it like a living thing yeah and that's that's what i always try to bring through home rule and bending the rules is that mm-hmm. yeah so let's uh, let's talk about a little bit kind of what we were talking pre-podcast when we were just uh, all sitting there and kind of getting, getting dinner and all that thing and we kind of talked about the difference between there's the homebrew of the rules and then there's the homebrew of the, your campaign setting you might be running or if you are running a an official uh wizard's adventure or campaign setting the homebrewing you can do within that adventure that makes it your own as well because as john said at the at the very beginning of this it's basically homebrew is anything that is not official wizard's content, truly. So every time you you, you add, like you said, you add Boblin the Goblin in, into a campaign, he's not there. That's that's a little bit of homebrew right there. Yeah. You have a reason for putting him in there. Um, we can talk about like campaigns. Like I run pretty much since we've been playing, and actually pretty much all the time, I only run home, homebrew campaign settings. I very rarely venture into official D and D settings. I did in the Champions of Saloon. That did all take place in in Faerun. I did take you guys to Faerun, playing uh, the Champions of Booze, but I changed things around a lot. When I ran when I ran my uh, second edition setting in Faerun and around Cormier and the Sea of Fallen Stars a lot, what I ended up doing was I didn't really want to get too deep into the lore with the, with everybody with what was going on as far as the God war, because I kind of had my own plan. They were serving a church and I kind of wanted to create my own God war. So I kind of kept everything as it was pre the, the, the God war in, in, in the forgotten realms area and then made, created my own. You John did a very incredible job with the curse of Strahd campaign of taking what they had and then homebrewing it into something that was light years ahead of where 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 they had what they had in that book. Thank you, sir. Yeah. And uh and I think that's that those are two things you can do. I mean, that's your choice is, you know, either you you play exactly to the letter, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm sorry, you look like you have something. Oh, okay. no, I'm good. Uh, okay, the way you were looking at me, I thought you had something to say. No, I'm which just is very actively good. Actively listening. Which I think is very good. I think that's awesome. I, I definitely do not take anything away from people that want to follow the letter of the campaign setting or the letter of the adventure they're running. It can definitely take a lot off your plate as a DM. Um, yeah, go ahead. One thing I've noticed when I was doing a little bit of my own Curse of Strahd campaign as a DM, when they get to Velaki and I put like three or four or five different extra quests in there because there's there's so much in Velaki, but it almost feels like each of the side quests or little mini storylines, they're kind of surface level for most of them. And so I wanted to dive deeper into them. I found some homebrewed supplements online and I did a little bit of my own stuff in there, but it ended up bogging down the story so much. They ended mm-hmm. up spending way too many sessions in Velaki, not really getting a whole lot done in terms of the main storyline because they had to finish all of these little side things going on with there. So there is benefits to staying strictly with the book. Mm, yeah. Uh, if that's what, the way that you're going, because it, there's a pacing involved. Yeah, like that's the story you want to tell. The mm-hmm. book's obviously written for that specifically. Exactly. Uh, I think John did a great job homebrewing 
all of Curse of Strahd because I I never really felt like the story was being bogged down. I felt like yeah, every no, single session, no. even with all the side quests, there was progress being made forward to the overall plot. Yeah, well, and they were the ones you had included were so a part of Barovia that they were a part of the main story. They were just sub subplots of the main mm-hmm. story. Like when you included that van, uh, werewolf encounter yeah. and the revenant stuff like that all was directly about Strahd messing with our party. Oh yeah. But it was stuff that you had made or made or uh, capitalized on that they might've mentioned. And that made it feel like a real, like again, like a real world. So Cody, now in previous stuff, like when you've, you've run a lot of Pathfinder adventures, not a lot, well, a, but a you've, ran, you've ran a few. Mm-hmm. Did you, did you homebrew those or did, were that, was that pretty much straight out of, out of the book? The only Pathfinder games from the books that I've run was rise of the rune Lords and wrath of the righteous. Uh, I didn't get too far into either of them because the groups were broken up for whatever reason or another rise of the rune Lords. I got like the, um, anniversary book. So it's like all of the books put into one giant thing mm-hmm. and they had already added a bunch of extra things onto that book. So they already had your side quest plotted out in okay. that book. So there was really almost no need for me as a very new deal. It was like the first thing I ever ran was Rise of the Rune Lords. There wasn't really never, not a whole lot of need for me to make my own homebrew stuff on there because it already had like love interests and tiny little subplots going oh, on wow. or like so it's little re- mini adventures going into the woods to hunt some wolves. So the, so they added a lot of detail then really to, yeah. this, to this campaign. So and it actually made it overwhelming for me. Really? Because it had, if your characters respond this way with this person, then this is what happens. If they respond this way with this person, oh, this wow. is what happens. If they respond this way with this person, this is what happens. And it was overwhelming for me as a very new DM. Right, super detailed. Mm-hmm. Which is probably, I think, one of the reasons why I think our, you know, like the one shots we've been designing have been kind of really keeping in mind that we, we're keeping things a little simplistic, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're a beginning DM, beginning player. Um, so I, I guess another question for, so I want to kind of stick, I'm, I'm going to get you a second, I'm sorry, but I, I could one want to ask Cody this before I forget. So you homebrewed a little bit into uh, Curse of Strahd. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean... And they got bogged down. Do you feel that they got bogged down because of because you're playing with kind of a newer set of players, or is it just was not fitting within the the, the story narrative in the way you thought it would? Or I am a very bad DM. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. You're not. And uh, I uh, like some of the side plots that we put in there. The char- the players really really enjoyed. Okay, it was very cool. They but I I realized the the side things that I had included in the game were usually things that um, complemented the things in the book that were already there. Mm -hmm. So uh, I stole a thing on Reddit about putting a dog inside Death House. And so when they go into the basement, they got to sacrifice someone in order to get out of the basement. There was the option of sacrificing a player or sacrificing the dog. And they ended up sacrificing a player because nobody ever wants to kill the dog. And so the, players, the, the players cried, uh, like three of them cried, oh, and it was great. I love it. I, I loved every bit of it. I was able to introduce the dark powers in there because I was able to uh, resurrect one of them because she cut her hand in order to oh, like yeah. bleed out and sacrifice herself. So she had like a scar on her hand, and it was like a. I, I had pulled her aside and like, okay, so your hand is like an undead hand now. Oh, and nice. uh, she had a glove already on it. So like if you were to remove that glove it'll look like a zombie hand kind of thing. And I was trying to get her to do like some like Adam's family, the thing stuff with her hand. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she did it sometimes, but so so the things that really worked well were the things that complemented the overall story instead of just, here's a random side adventure. So, so Keenan, you are much like me, you know, you like to do a lot of, um, a lot of open end of narratives. 
you kind of let the party drive things a little bit. And obviously, um, Mangetsu was completely your creation uh, as far as campaign setting, and so is Singularity, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, with Matt, you right now are the only one of us, I think, that are truly uh, running an actual homebrew campaign, but not a homebrew that you created, but a homebrew that other people created. What's cool about Matt's is he has the biggest universe to work, to work with. with. Oh my yeah. God, yeah. And so he's not, well, he, he's homebrewing a lot of the universe stuff too, but uh, he's he's creating a storyline inside this giant Star Wars universe. So how, Matt, how do you feel about like running that, that uh, running that kind of, that homebrew Star Wars? Well, I mean, it stems from obviously my love of the Star Wars universe completely. Uh, and especially Star stem I would say it, for me, running the campaign for you guys was my my way to uh, not reflect. I'm trying to think of uh, my way to see the Star Wars universe keep going on because I finished the last book of the extended universe and then it stopped. And then that was the end for me. Um, what? And you loved the Hitting movies the so much too, didn't you? <laughs> you got no, so excited hate, you started beating on the I, table. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, that it was for me. It was the way of just doing that, and it was we we originally started it. I was going to do the the Edge of the Empire was what we we're going to do, right. and that was completely like uh, wizard, that wasn't a Wizards of the Coast. It was uh, Fantasy Flight Games, and we thought about doing that. The system was weird. I didn't really like it. You could crit, but you could you like critically succeed, but you could also critically fail. But at the same time, you're still you're still succeeding and failing at the same time in those situations. Um, so we found this. Mike actually found this basically five e conversion where someone had completely com- converted yeah. five e community of literally yeah. community yeah. Did, which literally blew my mind. Yeah, and it's literally Star Wars oh. Fifth Edition is what yeah. it's called. And there's so, so much content. And it's, it's all free. Yeah, yeah, and it's still going. It's yeah. it's insane. Uh, but I mean, I, when we actually got into that, it was so. It's my my desire to make that campaign and set it in the way that I did was, I have this giant span from, and I'm gonna mess it up. And everyone who's a super Star Wars nerd compared to me is gonna be like, it's not right. Uh, whoa, whoa, but whoa. there's some, somebody more super Star Wars nerd than you. Probably yes. Okay, but it was I think 50 ABY up to like 126 ABY. There's this giant gap where no one knows what happens. And so, and basically at the end, like there's, you know, there's other stuff, like basically these unit, these factions are in stuff from the, at that uh, height I've been created, but there's this giant gap. And it's like, for me, it was like, I can do whatever I want. Right. <laughs> like I can yeah. just, cause all the main characters, like they've passed on at this, at this, you know, late stage in the game. Uh, and so I just thought like, Hey, I really love all these characters. I want to give them their grand finale, but I also want to give them the grand finale with all of my friends that really enjoy star Wars as well. Right. Well, you've done a great job at it, man. And one of the things that I was just thinking about when you were talking, you know, it's like you almost like when you homebrew anything, whether it be a, a campaign setting or you homebrew a new rule or whatever. Um, I think the key is just, you got to know why you're doing it. Right? right. And, you know, Cody had mentioned how like homebrew and some additional quest and curse of stride ended up taking them down sort of a, distracting path maybe um but you also homebrewed stuff that actually was really great for the main campaign and then you're homebrewing all this stuff in star wars but it's really coming from that love that you have of star wars and that depth of knowledge you have and like keenan and and mike you guys have homebrewed full campaigns because that came out of your twisted imaginations and <laughs> you guys yeah. and then my and you know my love for of strahd and strahd lore and barovian lore 
that helped supplement what I was doing in, from a homebrew perspective. And, you know, I think, so to me, the key is like, you got to know why you're doing it. Right. And one of the things that uh, we sort of all adopted in our games was this homebrew rule. Actually, I don't think we're necessarily doing it in every one of our campaigns. Or maybe, I refuse to do it. Okay. It's fine. But I just want to talk about it. Oh, I know what you're talking about. There's a jet going over the head. Oh, yeah. It's fine. It yeah. doesn't matter. Um, hopefully it's not like going to drop a bomb on us. But anyway, um, <laughs> So we have this homebrew rule when it comes to uh, at least in some of our campaigns, and it's about. Are you guys getting feedback? No, you can you keep you keep going. Okay, keep going. Keep so going. we have this homebrew rule where if you're going, <laughs> oh god, no! Um, if you make an ability check, but you don't have that skill, right? So let's if say you don't you have want proficiency in that skill. Proficiency, yeah. So let's say I want to do a investigation check. If I don't have that skill, then I roll at disadvantage, right? And not everybody at the table even likes that or agrees with that. But the reason that I came up with it and some others have adopted it is because it does address that issue that you have with how the rules as they are written, anyone can do anything right. And possibly roll a critical success. So, uh, I w I've been studying traps, so I'm really trying to get traps figured out in five E and traps as they're written, in my opinion, are, are bad, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're bad. And I think a lot of people agree with that. And I think it's why, uh, Wizards is now multiple times tried to fix traps, right? But one of the things they say in the actual player's handbook about how to find traps is like if it's a magic trap, then they literally says this in the book, any player can roll Arcana to try to find a magic trap, right? And I was just thinking to myself about Chud the Barbarian. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. And we're going through a dungeon and Chud goes, you know, Chud looks for magic traps <laughs> and he rolls a 20 and he finds a rune and it's like, here it is. And then you got, uh, you know, uh, we got Akon the wizard next to me in the next hallway. He goes, I look for a magic trap and he has an arcana and he's got expertise in it. And he rolls a one and he, he can't find it. Right. Yeah. So I think it's kind of cool. So what I was thinking about was a little bit kind of going back. You now we've talked a lot, a lot about can campaign homebrewing. One of the things that I want to kind of get, talk about maybe, a little bit by homebrewing specific rules, specific spells, things like that. Maybe go through teach us and talk about the things we've done that uh, that in homebrew has worked and stuff that has not worked, even though we thought it would work. But I want to start first with a question for Matt, because you are playing in that setup system with some of these, uh, like for instance, like with some of the Jedi and stuff that we fought or the Sith, I should say that we we have fought. Have you just taken strictly just their powers out of the book, or, or have you created some stuff for yourself too? I mean, really, whenever I, I mean, yeah, well, I'd say from my perspective of looking at a monster, I'll look at the stats of a monster, and I do it for the, uh, in the Star Wars campaign, I'll take a look at what, you know, there's other, there's users who have created, like, stat plots, I'll take a look at the stat block, and I'll say, this is cool, but it's not going to fit what I want, so I'll basically take that character, so, you know, for instance, you guys met Dengar, and in the campaign, mm -hmm. Dengar, this, there's like a legendary cybernetic bounty hunter is what the stat block was. And I was like, that's kind of lame. Right. I want to make him like a, like he's, this is like a bounty hunter that's been around for a long time. We're talking Boba Fett level bounty hunter that can, you know, probably, well, we don't know if Boba Fett or Dengar, who, who would win? We don't know. Keenan probably has his own, you know. It's Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like 
I took that and said, okay, well, I'm going to give him these additional abilities. Now, you guys never fought Dengar. If you would have fought Dengar, you probably would have died. Now, we paid him a ridiculous amount of money to help us instead. Which was the smart thing to do. Secretly, I was hoping <laughs> they would fight him because I took all these abilities of, and I took stuff from the actual module that the person had created, and then I also took my own spin on things. And okay. I've done that with quite a few different characters, uh, and I just... I like to make encounters like interesting. I like to make them so like you you have your different and we all do this very well. You have your boss encounter there and you know if you just have your boss encounter where you're just going in there, one person's at the front hitting them, someone's shooting a bow at them, someone's casting magic spells and you're just hitting a hit pool. But if you have interesting mechanics where, you know, you have four different so four different bosses and then as each boss dies, what you know the bosses gain additional attacks and additional attacks and additional attacks until oh, there's when one you do left. With the Sith specters. Yeah, and then now yeah. that one guy is has six attacks. And you, because you've basically just changed the encounter. I don't know. That was a lot of rambling, but. No, 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 no. no. I, I <laughs> Those are really the homebrew enemies. Yeah. yeah. Something I like to do with homebrews is create, uh, you said interesting combat. It's reminded me of this is uh, I like to make environmental stuff on my battlefields. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's something simple like boulders or crates that people can jump on top of and then, you know, use the high ground against the bad guys. Um, I had one where there was a chandelier. They were in like a mansion-y type building and there was a chandelier and the chandelier was uh, suspended using those little ropes that are oh, kind of yeah. tied to the walls. So one of the players wanted to get to the top floor and they did that movie, the yeah, thing where you the cut the rope. And yeah, 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 yeah. You cut the rope and then you swing up to the top floor. I'm like, that's so fucking cool. Yeah, I, lo <laughs> I love that. I love That's actually one of the things that I like to do for sure. Like and encourage you guys to, to do those, those kind of cinematic combat moments mm -hmm. i don't i don't find bending some homebrew and some stuff for that and bending some rules at that point because you're doing something so cool mm -hmm. so much fun to make combat so much more dynamic uh keenan like can you think of any specific like kind of homebrew things you've tried over the years that that has really worked and maybe some things that haven't worked for you um yeah i mean the two homebrew campaigns that i ran had um firearms which the official rules are right. awful for firearms. Oh, yeah. um, so I made things like a lot of things were area of effect weapons, like a machine gun. Um, so I experimented with DC checks and a cone and stuff. Uh, and then that worked well because um, it shows the power. It's a good area denial device. So if people are trying to, if like they're trying to siege a building when they have two machine gun emplacements, like that area is really well defended right. and that forces the players to be creative on how to overcome it. So stuff I've done rules like that. Uh, all the monsters are always, I, I might pick something that someone had created or that's official. And then I always modify it. Um, there's nothing really. I don't ever stick my fingers in when it's part of it's cause it's an entire homebrew world slash right. campaign that I have to adapt things to, but as particular rules, I don't think you've really I make gone individual into individual rulings. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I do a lot of like, okay, well this is going to happen. Right. Um, or like, Oh, you want to do that? Well, I'll mediate things like that. Yeah. But nothing that I've, nothing like John's uh, proficiency rule, nothing hard fast that I've really implemented that, that I'm aware of. Yeah. So John kind of segueing you to then do you, what do you, what do you think as far as like any really homebrew kind of rules or, or spells or anything that you've kind of come up with over, over the years that you really love and maybe some things that you're like, Oh man, I, screwed that up i should that never worked well i i like my rule about the the skill checks and uh, by I, the way that's one that's broken it doesn't work <laughs> i like it um 
Because you but don't play with it. It's, <laughs> it's better than what Matt Colville does. Yeah. Matt Colville will uh, straight up say you can't roll that skill. Oh, that's yeah. Fuck yeah. That. Well, harsh. well, and and you know we I have played it because Mike does it in Dark Kingdom in order to make it more difficult. Yeah. Um, you always complain about it. But no, I don't. Yes, you do. He does it sarcastically. Yeah, I'm like, who came up with this shit? What kind of what kind of vile DM would dude. come up with such a rule, dude? But, but you should see the looks on your your look on your face when you're rolling a disadvantage. Uh, you roll like, oh, I rolled two sixes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it, you know, a, a little confession. I don't think I've ever made a homebrew spell before. I think oh. every single spell I've ever had anyone cast uh, any NPC cast in my campaigns has been from the the book directly um maybe something like deep magic which is a homebrew supplement right that cobalt press put out um but uh wait cobalt press did that one right yeah cobalt press but technically they're not homebrew they're they're making official official content it's their homebrew which is official their official content but regardless i i make a lot of homebrew monsters and and boss mechanics and i like those some of those have not i guess where i've maybe failed is i have created homebrew monsters and bosses that i'm like this is gonna wipe the party (laughs) and then like three rounds in you guys just decimated the the, you know i'm like wow i don't know how to make monsters that's a good time (laughs) to talk about the bill situation yeah bill play yeah (laughs) yeah so i i feel kind of the same way man i i do a lot of homebrew monsters or even if i'm not doing a homebrew monster i'll take monsters i'll add things to them yeah. that i think they should have to make it more challenging because if i just take it straight out of the book you guys are going to walk over the top of this crap like yeah. in two rounds so and then of course we we both are, are both uh um hit point or hit hit die pool bumpers like we'll bump out the hit dice on, on these on most of the standard monsters anyways just because of the massive amount of action economy and all the action all the damage that a party you know of uh, five or more can do um i have in the past homebrewed some spell stuff it's been okay i don't think it's been any, i don't think i've ever made anything really spectacular i think my favorite thing that i ever did homebrewing was actually for a second edition and i created spell points and basically the spell points work pretty much identical to what they ended up in with with spell slots but this was like for second edition when there was nothing like that and i thought you know i just didn't like the way the wizards and the clerics were so limited to what they can do. Yeah. And I, and so I created spell points, which was almost identical to spell slots and not nowadays. So I'll like pat myself on the back for getting ahead of that curve. <laughs> uh, but I've done some stuff in the past that definitely has not worked. Um, I think we've discovered that as we're playing dark kingdom, because uh, there's definitely a few things I kind of threw in there. I thought would be cool. And then ended up not really working very well. I think, um, <laughs> I think definitely homebrew in some of the classes, <laughs> Definitely made them super powerful, which is fine for the for the Dark Kingdom. You know, I, I actually am very proud of the Druid class because it works so well on the Dark Kingdom because there's no clerics. Yeah, I think you did a great job. I mean, they're yeah, I would say they're a little overpowered, but I mean, you know, that's you know, when you're making a class. I mean, it's hard not to make it overpowered. I mean, right. when you're not actually play testing that class, yeah. you can't actually see everything on the table. Where you know, I'm casting. You know, I don't remember what it was—a flame strike or. Um, when you cast firestorm, heal, firestorm, like firestorm. casting fi- firestorm, like at level uh, five like, or whatever. It was like level at. four. So, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I mean, that, hey, but, it, we won the war because of that. It's true. And, yeah, giving perspective, you like, know, I, that heal, was all I could do. Mass heal, or or was it just heal? Like, no, it was mass, mass heal. It was like mass heal. The, yeah, bubble spell. <laughs> like, ooh. but that again, that was it. Illusion. I was done. I was out. Like, did you kind of like? Yeah, no, I didn't have cantrips at all. 
um, I had kind of what I had was uh, these spell points or mana points, mana points that yeah. would allow me to cast certain spells that were kind of really high level spells. And then I had uh, my remedies, which were things I had to make, so like potions kind of thing. But they yeah. let me cast spells. And you had ritual magic, which you you never really yeah. got a chance to do too much ritual magic. Just because I couldn't Which is completely different than the ritual magic in, in 5e. This was very uh, druid-specific stuff that you would do either. You'd have certain ritual spells you could do that were completely homebrewed by me uh, to either be something you could do singularly. Like I think you had the one where you could buff up uh, someone's, uh, give them temporary hit points. And yeah. you do that by yourself. But most of the time you had to have another druid of your of your circle yeah. to do at least two, three, four. There were some, some, some rituals, which we never got around to because you never, you, she kind of got off on her own tangent story-wise and ended up yeah. being the queen of a country. So you never really ran into too many other of your own uh, druid uh, circles. So, uh, you know, so going, talking about things that um, homebrew uh, systems, basically, which Star Wars 5e is a homebrew system really for that. So I'm going to give a shout out to Garrett Myers, who after listening to our last podcast and we were talking about feats and skills and we talked briefly about skills a little bit about how we really thought they weren't as good as they should be and that feats were probably not what they thought they were going to be. And he sent me a PDF of a thing that kind of re that, that replaces feats and it lets you expand upon what your skills can do. And it's called talent trees. Um, and I can, can you read that? Because I can't read it on my copy here. It's, uh, it's by Reddit users. Uh, you, I'm from NASA. And then you, it's like Krayos125, C-R-A-I-O-S125. Yeah, so I think these two Reddit users are the ones who kind of got everything going. And then at the end of their, at the end of their, at the PDF, they do also mention some other people that contributed ideas. So this was a really true homebrew from the community, which it, is awesome because I love this such stuff. such a cool system. Right? Yeah, we're really excited to actually try it. So yeah, we're we're kind of learning about it a little bit. But Cody, go ahead and, and talk a little bit on on what we we've, we've read so far, and we're definitely we're bringing this in. We're going to use it. So thanks again, Garrett. That was really awesome that you sent that to us. So basically, what they do is when you get a level up where you have an ability score improvement, you can uh, sacrifice one of those or both of the ability score improvements. So you can bump your strength up by one. And then that other point, you can put it into a talent. And the talents are divided talent into point, yeah. uh, uh, skill talents and then specialty talents. And the skill talents are basically like you can take your acrobatics and then you put uh, the point into there. You already have acrobatics as a skill. Yeah. So then you get the handspring expert. And handspring expert gives you a special thing where you get to um, uh, standing up only costs you 10 feet of movement instead of half your movement. But then in later levels, or maybe in the same level, you can put a point into handspring and then another uh, talent point into, um, let's hear, uh, free stride. And free stride has another type of ability on there, which is your quick stride lets you carefully pick a path through rough terrain. Your speed increases by 10 feet. When you take the dash action, difficult terrain costs you no extra movement this turn. So this is really cool. Yeah. And it's like the, the entire thing just makes your skills much more dynamic and useful for things outside of just, I want to jump across this roof or I want to pick up this boulder or right. uh, I want to like investigate these footprints and it's lets me do more cool stuff. And so, and it's called the talent tree. So what it is, you, you start off, you, you can actually even forego not putting any uh, points into ability score and just take two talent points. And then, so you have more points to spend on your thing. So you, first you have to, first thing you have to do is you have to start 
the talent tree and that's the handspring expert that's the top and each one of these has for each skill has one of these at the top which is the very first thing you take and you have path a path c path or sorry, A, B, and C, Jesus. <laughs> That's like the second time I forgot my alphabet. Uh, a, B, and C, and then each, each, under each of one of those, you have two other things, and then you get to the base of the tree that holds the whole tree up, and that's the really super awesome thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I just love that. I, I just think it's, you're right, it just makes things so dynamic, and I actually have only briefly got a chance to kind of look at the, uh, the um, oh, what was the other one called? The special specialty trees, and these, these are a little different. They don't necessarily have each specialty is a little different. They don't necessarily have the same amount of things you can take. Uh, one thing I really like is they brought back weapon specialization, which is kind of a nod to second edition. And I actually had a thing in, in second edition that I did a homebrew thing where I did weapon specialization too, but I opened it up to other classes. So you could be a fighter, you could be a thief, you could be cleric and you could take those weapon specializations and you'd get certain features for having taken specialization, spending a proficiency slot, at whatever level you're spending it on. And then they did the same kind of thing here, but they have these, I think they have like uh, minor traits and then medium kind of traits in the middle and then they got like a higher traits and stuff too. Oh, go here. There was one that I really enjoyed. It was, um, so one point for endurance and endurance just gives you extra dice at short rest when you want to recover HP. that's cool. Yeah. So it's nothing crazy strong. It's not not game breaking at all. Um, But I like the idea of this. You get a level up, you want to increase your strength. You have a 19 strength. You want to go to 20. So you put one point into your strength score and then you put the other point into this endurance ability. So now you can just recover better, right? And then a couple of levels later, you have another ability score improvement and you can put one point and you can get tough. And tough is straight up just the feet out of the player's handbook. Right. And when it, it getting that tough equals the exact same as a feat. Right. You know, uh, two points of ability score improvement. Well, you just put two points into a talent it equals the same. You get the tough feet. You also have the 19 strength or the 20 strength. And you also have this two extra hit dice of, of healing. It's not breaking the game at all. No. It just gives your player just a little bit extra uniqueness to it. More customization, which fifth edition horribly lacks. Right. And I think that's one of the things is that they did keep some of the feats like, uh, you know, alerts in there, obviously, because that's one of the coolest beats you can possibly get as far as I'm concerned. But uh, what I do like is you're right. You're talking about being more dynamic. But it also helps you build your character, even if it's even if it's outside your class a little bit, you might be able to do some kind of cool things that might seem to cross over mm-hmm. because some of these skills are kind of very specific. But if you're like, one thing I could definitely tell, like I haven't played a lot of rogues, but looking at kind of the options for acrobatics, deception, mm-hmm. performance, um, and uh, uh, stealth and all that kind of stuff that they had, I'm like looking at the stuff like going, my God, you can actually make a thief very, very fun to play by having these skills and it's all mostly role-playing kind of stuff right Mm -hmm. stuff that's going to probably get you in trouble as a thief but (laughs) you know it's it's cool too because i think that and we've mentioned this in the previous cast i forgot which one but you know when you first come to fifth edition uh, you know one of the reasons they designed it as simply as they did is so that it would be accessible to new players but if you're like us and you've been playing for several years now and you're very comfortable with the baseline mechanics you know, again, this is where a supplement like this becomes really appealing because it adds some 
customization, some extra layers of complexity to the game that aren't game breaking. And so I think that's why, you know, guys like us would be like, oh, this is really cool. Whereas a new person might go, well, that's just more stuff for me to have to learn. And right now that, and, and I think when you read um, some of the introduction material in both the player's handbook, dungeon master guide, some of the other books, um, Jeremy Crawford or whoever wrote it, um, you know, they, they say straight up like, Hey, use this. And if you want to do something different, do something different. Kind of like right. they did in the original, which that's cool. You read that. I didn't know the original version of D and D literally starts out with them being like, Hey, we, we gave you the ba- the basics. Now you do whatever else you want with it. And I think that for people who are new to the game that might be listening to this, like uh, be comfortable branching into the areas you want to branch into and yeah. do different things. If you want to do different things um, and adapt it to your players. If you're playing with a group of new players, maybe keep it close to the book. Right. right. But if you're dealing with some veteran people, you might say, Hey, I heard about this supplement uh, or, you know, strange new worlds made this supplement and, you know, I wanted to use it in my campaign. What do you guys think? And, you know, you might find that more veteran players actually embrace these more complex or interesting kind of, kind of homebrew type things. And I would also say on that, on that behalf, actually, if you are even a beginning DM or a, a more seasoned DM, if you're playing with new players, that's kind of the perfect time to maybe do some homebrew too. Because they're gonna, they may be a little more receptive. Because sometimes I, I've been with the players that do get a little like, oh, it's not this way, it's not that way, it's not this way. And I'm like, well, dude, it, it's it's a homebrew rule, and but they'll want to argue about it a little bit. And I'm like, look, it's kind of cool. If if you're not comfortable with that, cool, we'll we'll take it off the table. Or you know, if everybody else is comfortable with it, but one person isn't, then dude, you're gonna have to adapt, kind of thing. But maybe you know, same thing. Like maybe that's a good time for. Uh, DM to really try some new stuff with new players uh, just to, because they're probably going to be more open to experimenting. Uh, so we are kind of getting towards the end of things. So let's, uh, let's do a little wrap up here uh, and kind of get everybody's final thoughts on, on homebrew, whether it's campaign, whether it's rules, spells, classes, whatever. Uh, I mean, my thought, I mean, I really, we've, we've said everything I would have said. I mean, I, I think that homebrew is a general thing is just creating content that's not in the official materials and that that is intentionally open. It's intentional. It's a wild west kind of situation, right? Different groups are going to do different things. Um, I, I would challenge everybody to get out of your head the idea of right and wrong. Oh yeah. When it comes to homebrewing, there's no right, there's no wrong. There's only what you and your players have kind of uh, all agreed to to be on board with. Except for if it's me, then I'm always right. Well, if you're the DM, you're right. Oh yeah, of course. Keenan's good. I think uh, as long as everyone's having fun, then yeah, it doesn't really matter what you do. One thing that's cool about D and D is that there's uh, kind of a limited meta to the game. Right. You know, even things that are in the official rulebook, you can just remove those, and it completely changes the meta. Uh, players who study the monster manual up and down, they know everything about every single monster in there. Well, they don't know monsters from your world. Ooh, yeah. And maybe they have resistances or maybe they have uh, extra limbs or some crazy stuff like that. Yeah. And that's what's cool about D&D is that the meta is pretty limited compared to like League of Legends and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, I agree. I would just say if you're a DM, try and do some homebrew. If you're a player, try and homebrew as well when you're in the campaign. Oh, yeah. I mean, just do homebrew. I mean, when you think about it, D&D was a homebrew when it was created. Like it was a homebrew off of, you know, uh, that two people made together and I mean, essentially was its own homebrew. I mean, it's actual game now it is, it officially is. licensed, yeah. but it was a homebrew at the beginning. So don't feel ashamed if you try and homebrew the game. 
Yeah, and then go, and to go back to what you were just saying there, Matt. Um, yeah, as a player, definitely bring ideas to your to your DM. If you got an idea about something, like you know about the way a feature, an ability, whatever, don't be shy. Bring the, bring those to your DM. Actually, we did this in Dark Kingdom because it was kind of game testing, right? I created this thing during COVID. We got together when we started playing again, and we got it out there. And we we learned that there was power imbalances, and especially like when we were talking about the Ranger. Yeah, Mike fucked up the Rangers just like everybody else does. <laughs> but John and I think really we start talking about it, and he started feeding me some ideas. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea, and we're talking back and forth, and we actually kind of got kind of a cool Ranger out of that whole thing. Yeah. So, and the uh, the final thing I would say is I think that the words of Gary Gygax were was going to stick in, in my head with this when it comes to D&D, homebrew, role-playing games in general. The only limits is your imagination. Strange New Worlds Productions wanted to take a moment and say thank you to our Dragon Tier patrons. Thank you so much to Doug, F. Sutton, Nicole, Kirsten, Beth, and Charles. We appreciate you and all of our patrons. Please visit us at snwproductions.com and see how you can support our work.